You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Beatrice Filu Espada, the founder of the Honey Pot Company. The Honey Pot Company is a plant-based, chemical-free feminine care system that cleanses, protects, and balances your vagina. Powered by herbs, made by women, and 100% natural, the Honey Pot Company is disrupting the industry with a healthy alternative to feminine care. I just love their tagline, by the way, made by humans with vaginas for humans with vaginas. Because a lot of times I feel like vagina is such a taboo word. So we talk about feminine care and we beat around the bush, no pun intended. But when it comes down to it, we have to talk about this because as women, we all have to use tampons, pads, lubricants, and subsequently worry about the contents of the products we are putting into our bodies. Beatrice is solving for all of this. She developed the products right in her kitchen. Armed with a mission, determination, and on-the-job experience, she is tackling scaling her business, entering multi-channel mega retailers like Target, and figuring this out as she goes. On today's episode, we get into how a message from an ancestor brought her business to life and how she is building her mission-driven brand. Let's get right into it. So welcome to the guest chair, Beatrice. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? What are you doing on this busy day? <laughs> I am getting into the office, getting settled, just getting my mind prepared for having this conversation with you. Right. That's where I am right now. Yeah. So speaking of conversation, now I always love to know how you describe your journey. So give us a quick background of who is Beatrice and how did you get to where you are today? So I am a, uh, (laughs) I'm trying to think of the best way to say that it's it's always funny when somebody asks you who you are, you know, and it's so, it's so hard to, to think of how to characterize yourself. But, um, you know, my name is Beatrice Feliu Espada and I am, first of all, a human who is going through life trying to create the best existence for myself and my family and my my chosen family um, as much as possible. Um, but I also happen to be the founder of um, the Honey Pot Company. And so the Honey Pot Company is a plant-based feminine hygiene company that really looks to specialize in all things vagina. And uh, we've been successful with getting into retail, um, you know, and growing and scaling and scaling into that. We've also, um, you know, working on our platforms, digital, uh, retail, social, all those things in order to get our messages across. So I guess that's who I am. (laughs) Congrats on all you're doing. Yes. So Tell me why why vaginas? <laughs> uh, because it kind of chose me. <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't grow up as a kid thinking, you know, I want to be in the vagina business. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you know, that's what you know. That's my path that I aligned with, and so you know, I'm really good at vaginas. So I, I typically like to stick it 
stick to what I'm good to, you know? Now, speaking of what you're good to, though, I am interested in your background. So what were you doing before starting the honeypot? Before starting the honeypot, um, <laughs> I did so many things. Um, for about almost 10 years, I was a pharmacy technician right out of high school. <clears throat> you know, around that time, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. So I was preparing my mind for that, going through my pre-med and things of that nature. Um, you know, but having the luck to be able to work within the pharmaceutical field for as long as I did, it kind of taught me that that wasn't really the path that I wanted to take. So I left from pharmacy where I did all kinds of pharmacy, being at retail, you know, mail order, chemo, you know, hospitals, you name it. I did it, um, left pharmacy. And then I went to work for Whole Foods Market. Uh, Whole Foods Market was a was a really dope journey because it was kind of on that journey that I stumbled across Honey Pot. Um, but when I so I was with Whole Foods after being a pharmacy tech, and then after I left Whole Foods, I went to be a natural food broker. Then I was a sales manager for a kale chip company um, or area sales manager, excuse me. And then, you know, now I do Honey Pot full time. Okay. So I, I love how you are glossing over this, but we need to break this down because I understand. <laughs> so from my research, I understand. Okay, so Whole Foods was kind of transformational, wasn't it? Right. Absolutely. What What would happen when you were in this pharmacy? Because I personally, I walk into Whole Foods and I love everything. Like I want to get all these oils and potions and but I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I, like do, do people, was that the experience that most people were having? Absolutely. At Whole Foods, uh, when you worked in whole body, it was crazy because people came in there and they treated you like you were a doctor, you know, and you'd have to say to them, like, look, like, I know these things because I've been in the health world for a long time. You know, just when, you know, when at that time when you were working for Whole Foods, they sent you on health immersions and they sent you to like herb farms. And it was just a total vibe to be working at Whole Foods. So you learned a lot. Um you know, so it'd be like, I know a lot, right? Um, I've been really fortunate in my life to just be a healer, mm -hmm. you know, from from forever. But, you know, but they definitely did treat you like that. <laughs> and what do you mean when you say a healer? Like, were you always experimenting with natural remedies? I was always experimenting with natural remedies. I worked in healthcare from the time I was 18 until the time that I was, what, uh, 26? Um, you know, so I, I, I worked in the healthcare industry for a long time and, you know, then leaving there thinking I wanted to be a doctor, but then realizing that I didn't want to be around sick people, but then transitioning from that to working at whole body and whole foods, which was kind of like working in a pharmacy and a grocery store, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, it was like whole foods version of a pharmacy. Right. And so I really didn't leave the path that I was on. It just looked like that because I wasn't necessarily in pharmaceuticals. I was in nutraceuticals. Yeah. Um, you know, so when you think about it, I've always been a healer in that, you know, and then I come from ancestors of like herbalists and, you know, I mean, my ancestors are African and Indian. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, they're they're they're, you know, natural born herbalists. So I feel like it's just in my blood. Um and innately, even when you look in my past, I've always been in the work of healing people. Yes. So I just Googled nutraceuticals. 
Yeah. <laughs> Talk us through what is that? Okay, because I just had to look it up and it seems like something that I should know, but most of us out here are so used to looking to pharmaceuticals to heal our issues. This whole world of nutraceuticals is new to me and I'm I'm wanna discover yeah. more about it. I mean, nutraceuticals is basically I'll put it to you like this. Pharmaceuticals are a blend of basically like drugs that are made by humans, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, and most pharmaceuticals do actually have nutraceutical components to it because a lot of chemicals can come from plants, right? In order to make drugs, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. When you think about nutraceuticals, you're thinking more about herbs, supplements, um, things that potentially came from the ground, right? So they're not necessarily chemicals that were just man-made. Um, you know, nutraceuticals are a blend of things that are man-made, absolutely. But the components of them come from places that, you know, come from natural places. So it's kind of a combination of, you know, herbs, supplements, um, essential oils, j just kind of more non-toxic things. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have eczema, I have very sensitive skin. So that's why, you know, your product and everything that you're developing is so intriguing to me. So why was creating a product that was organic and sensitive for us women? Why was this so important to you? Um, Because when I when I was gifted from one of my ancestors, when I was gifted the formula for honeypot, you know, I was going through a lot of shit with my own vagina. I had bacterial vaginosis for almost a year. Um, you know, it was just a, it was a crazy time and I couldn't get rid of it. Right. And so I knew what it felt like to be in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so when I was gifted the formula and it worked, you know, in my mind, it was like, I was gifted my life's work. Yes. Right. Like, it was like I was, you know, you can't be given something like you can be. I mean, and, and no judgment to anybody that would not necessarily see that as the opportunity that I sought for, because it's, it's a relative thing. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, being gifted something that was that powerful, I didn't I didn't really take that lightly. Um, and I felt like if it could work for me, then it could probably work for her. Right. Her being <laughs> the women's race or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and so I tested it on as many women as I could find for two years. I wouldn't launch it until I knew that other people were getting the same type of experiences that I was getting. And then I saw that they were. And then the opportunity came for us to go and do the Brown and Brothers hair show. And, you know, I just what the hell let's you know i begged my brother literally got on my hands and knees and was like yo i need this money no seriously yeah because it's hard you know it's hard for family to give the type of money you to ask a friend mm -hmm. that you've never asked before really for cash yeah. right because you because you needed to start a business like they're giving you their hard-earned money in order for to, to take a bet on something that you're doing that may or may not work out you know what i mean right so yeah i had to get on my hands and knees and beg him to, um, you know, to allow me uh, to take some of his money. <laughs> and, allow me um, to take some of your money. Yeah, and, and, and get into something that he knows really nothing yeah. about, you so, know. But Brunner Brothers is a hair show. So were you vending there? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I got the opportunity to vend there. Yeah. Nice. 
Now let's yeah. take it. Let's pause for a second because you mentioned bacterial vaginosis, and I know most of my ladies listening know about this, but I have some fellas. I have some fellas in the mix, and what that is is basically an overgrowth, a bacterial overgrowth in the vagina. And it's so common. You know, people think, listen, women, us women, our vaginas go through a lot of shit. <laughs> they do. And they do. it could be, it could be just our diet's not alkaline or, you know, we're, we're just not balanced enough. And all of a sudden we, we got to figure out how to balance out the bacteria or, you mm-hmm. know, um, sexual activity. And, but it's not a sexual, it's not a transmitted disease, but just like, you know, there's so much stuff that you have to balance to make sure you have the right mix of bacteria in in your goodies. So yeah. you were dealing with this and I'm, I'm sure you were consulting pharmaceuticals too, right? Because when you have this, the doctor is like, here's some yeah. antibiotics. Um, yeah. Was that helpful? It's called, me- it's called metronidazole. Okay. <laughs> uh, slash flagell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you finish your question now. What is it about the, back- the um, I guess, the pharmaceuticals that were your body was it rejecting that like why is it that you then had to think through this solution something different well one thing that you need to remember is that drugs are smart mm. right and and the the more important thing that you need to remember is that your body is smarter like our bodies are like walking computers like but but the but the the most intelligent ancient computer that there is right and so when you take a when you take an antibiotic, typically what's going to happen is your the bacteria that lives inside your body because that shit is so smart. It knows like if you if you take something maybe with flagell, maybe you could take it two or three times or any antibiotic. Right. Right. Your body's like, oh, bitch, like, I know what that shit is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just create a different type of, a whole a new different type of bacteria. Yes. Yeah, that's why there's multiple strains of freaking bacterial vaginosis. I'm just going to create more bacteria so that I can beat. Because it, it learns how to beat the antibiotic. Like, that's how crazy and how intelligent mm-hmm. our bodies are yep. right and the bacteria that that make that that happen inside of our bodies right. and the ba- so. and the antibiotics also killing too much bacteria all, most of the time so then well it, yeah yeah so not to say like listen yo i believe in antibiotics i'm just saying some of Girl, the, the, the effects that we have the side effects that us women have to deal with all right so now let's talk about now that you've started to test these products you're at Bronner Brothers what happens next oh man this shit is crazy so like we took bro found me 20k we took that money we bought a booth you know we bought our booth at Bronner's we bought all the bottles and components and all that stuff basically ended up making like 600 bottles because we had to (laughs) because that's how much money we had to make in order to like break even and then some at Bronner's right and what were the bottles bottles of what the honey the wash it was bottles of wash. It was bottles of our, we, at that time, I think we had one or two washes. Okay. So it was bottles of our, of just our formula, our formulated wash. So we went with 600 bottles and <laughs> we sold out in a weekend. So like wow. women would go home, try it the first night, come back, bring a friend the next night. Then she would bring her friend the next day. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was like the best place to launch something like that. So yeah, we we sold out of all those bottles in three days. And were you still you're still side hustling at this point, right? Girl, I've been I I just stopped side hustling a year and a half ago. 
Okay. Maybe a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. I was still side hustling. Absolutely. But when you went home, is this when you formally said, okay, this is going to be my business and I am going to launch this? Or did it take a few more months to really get it together? It was like, no, it, it was like we literally left there and it was just kind of like, wow, that shit just happened, right? Like nobody, I knew it was going to do good, but I didn't know it was going to do that good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you can't ignore that, you know? And so we basically came home and just went to the drawing board. We got it into Whole Foods. Um, we got it into 790 here in Atlanta. We got it, um, we launched a website that was total, you know, total shit back then. But, <laughs> but, it, did, but it, did, it did what it needed to do, It right? was an e-commerce platform. So people were buying from the website? Yeah, it was an e-commerce platform. Um, and yeah, I mean, it worked, right. It got us to where we are. How did you get into the Whole Foods and these different retailers? Well, I, at that time I was actually working for Whole Foods, so I knew who to go to, to get it in. Um, you know, but typically if you want to go into Whole Foods, especially if it's like a local type of thing, which they're not doing as much as they used to, this is back when it was really hot and new and you know, whatever. So, um, you know, so back then you could literally just go into a local Whole Foods, say you had a business, you know, and figure out who to talk to and when to go to them. And then you could just pitch it. But for me, I was really fortunate because I worked for Whole Foods and I knew who to go to. So. Okay. And did you have any growing pains at all when it came to you? It's one thing to create the wash. It's another thing to package it and to have it be able to be preserved and in the same state once it's delivered to people. What kind of experimentation and learning happened there? (laughs) Girl, all the mistakes and all the expectations and non-expectations. And uh, we were very fortunate about preserving the product. I mean, we literally made it in our kitchen um, at our office for years, <laughs> um, you know, but a lot of the ingredients were actually like acting preservatives. So it has like vinegar in it. Mm. It has um, uh, it has a food grade hydrogen peroxide in it, which I think we should go back to because you asked me a question that I didn't answer earlier, but we can go back to that in a second. Um, you know, it it just had ingredients. It had essential oils in it. Back then, the essential oils were a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. So the products really preserved themselves. Um, it wasn't until we we were were blessed enough to be discovered by Target that we actually had to go in mass production. And, you know, there's always growing pains, though. I mean, I, I feel growing pains every single day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I mean, but, you know, there was a lot of learning to do. There was a lot of, you know, finagling and trying to make it, you know, in bigger containers, which meant the measurements were different, mm-hmm. um, you know, as far as like shipping, Antoinette, who's like, I adore her. Um, she came around and, uh, you know, she would work 14, 15 hour days shipping product out and helping me make it and buy. It was crazy. And I was still working. So it was it was bizarre. Wow. You know, yeah. And today's growing pains are completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, today's growing pains are like, you know, working with your working with your co-packers and working with your 3PLs and, you know, working with all your distributors and growing and expanding and, you know, having employees and, you know, raising money because all you ever need in this type of business is money, you know? Yes. 
Um, so <laughs> yeah, there's, there's growing pains like every second of every day, but. And which question did you, which question did you want to go back to? You had said something about the bacteria and the overgrowth. Like why, why, why is it such an overgrowth and why do our, why do our bodies, why are our bodies not necessarily able to fight it off? Yep. Um, I wanted to just go back to that really quick. The problem, the problem with our bodies isn't, and this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. I am not a doctor, but the thing about our bodies is they're not necessarily, your vaginal health is not necessarily as much tie, as tied to your food as you would think, um, you know, but stress levels, if your pH gets off, it can come off because of stress levels. It can come off because of your partner. It can come off for almost any reason, like you said. But the reason why people are more susceptible to yeast infections and things of that nature is it's very, 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 very simple. It's because their pH is off for whatever reason. And so what happens is if your body isn't, because your vagina makes hydrogen peroxide, if your vagina isn't making the right amount to be able to balance the back, the acidity of it, you know, the acidity of it compared to the alkalinity of it or the, the neutral aspect of it, if your body isn't making enough good bacteria to be able to fight that, and if your body can't, if your vagina can't get to the right pH, then when you're, all that's going to happen is you're going to get your cycle, your pH rises when you're on your cycle, when it goes back down, it doesn't go down far enough. And that's why women are constantly susceptible to yeast, to bacterial vaginosis, you know, all those types of things that are bacteria related. Wow. Um, you know, so when we formulated the product, knowing that because I had dealt with it for so long, you know, that's why we have those apple cider vinegar and peroxides and things of that nature in our products, because we're our products are constantly reminding women's vaginas to make good bacteria, yes. make good bacteria. So, and so, you know, speaking of, you know, bringing, circling back to this question and, and this mm-hmm. whole idea, do you, how do you deal with both marketing your product and also educating your consumer at the same time? Oh, gosh. Um, we try to make our marketing educational. <laughs> how does that work? That's, we, we, when we're taught, when we're on social, we're constantly talking about, you know, why we use the type of ingredients we use, you know, why you shouldn't wear thong panties all the time, why putting a tampon in all day and night isn't a good thing. Um, you know, why wiping is so essential. I mean, we don't want to, we don't want our marketing to not have depth. Otherwise, all we're doing is just selling you a product. Mm -hmm. And the way that we think about how we talk to our customers, which we're perfecting more and more every day, is we never want her to feel like she's inadequate. Yeah. Um, And we always want to be educating her on why we develop the types of products that we do. Okay. Um, And, you know, so for us, it's essential for our marketing to be able to tell the story of Honeypot. And the story of Honeypot is know about what you're putting on your body, understand the ingredients, understand, you know, the the chemicals, all that stuff, so that you can make a sound decision. And there's also the fact that, you know, a lot of us have always been told, okay, and we've tried to follow that instruction of don't put anything down there, don't douche, Mm -hmm. all this other stuff. So now it's like, it's almost like we're scared. Like, is can we put this down there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is that, that's really a miscommunication, I think. Um, 
women do need to put something down there. The problem is that we're putting the wrong things down there, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you wake up in the morning, you you might wash wash your hair, brush your teeth, and then wash your body, right? When you brush your teeth and you wash your body, do you use the same thing on your teeth that you would use on your body? Nope. Being that your being that your mouth has its own immune system, that's why you need toothbrush, a to- you know certain toothbrushes and toothpaste to be able to treat your teeth with the proper products that have the proper pH and all that stuff. Right. Right. Shampoo, same thing. Hair has a different pH than skin. Right. Body wash. Typically body soaps are alkaline in nature. Right. Your vagina is a completely it's a whole new world on your body. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. But people don't but people don't understand and know that, you know, well, I'm glad that you are approaching marketing with that understanding of having to educate people as well. Absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit more about those early days, because I want to know how you got all this washed into the bottles. Like, was this was it you? Were you recruiting cousins? Were you recruiting, you know, siblings? Like, who was bottling (laughs) up this stuff? (laughs) Everybody was. Everybody was bottling everything up. Um, I mean, Simon was here. Anthony was here. Anybody that was like a friend or a friend of a friend, it was like, look, we're bottling today. Come by, help us out. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. Um, you know, and then it went from being that to just being Antoinette because we had to really control the environment because you can't have too many people around, mm-hmm. right? Because we're not a laboratory. You know what I mean? So everybody that was anybody that could come and help at that time, it was like all hands on deck because it was growing so much more and more every day. So, and at what stage did you, at what stage did you say, I'm, I'm going to quit my job? Was it a, a matter of I'm ready now and the business supports it? Or was it this business won't go on unless I quit? It was a combination of both of those because I was never going to leave honey pot until honey pot could pay me what I needed to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so it was a combination of honey pot can pay me what I need so that I can feed my family and live. Um, but also that I was living a double life. I was working a job where I traveled three to four weeks out of the month, um, had one assistant for working on honey pot and it was me and Simon, but he had a, he had his own businesses going on and Linda was managing all of social media and marketing, you know, but all of us had jobs. So it was crazy. So it was a combination of I can't do this anymore because I, I don't sleep. Mm-hmm. I hardly eat. I'm stressed out. And, you know, Honeypot had to pay me because if it couldn't pay me, it wouldn't matter if I couldn't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did you motivate these people to still want to do it when it wasn't paying you guys, but it was a lot of <laughs> hard work. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was honestly like everybody from the early days has ownership in the company. When you don't have money, you have to, you have to motivate somebody somehow. And then also like everybody loved me. So it wasn't, um, you know, when people like you and love you, they want to see you be successful. Mm-hmm. So Um, You know, but when people came and they stayed and they were genuine and, you know, you really believed in it, they just did it for free. And then I offered equity and 
you know, now we can actually pay real salaries. We're really fortunate for that. So everybody that stuck around, um, you know, now is able to actually like eat and feed their family with it and not have to have two and three other jobs. Mm. Um, you know, but it was giving equity and giving respect and appreciation, you know? And speaking of now being able to pay people, so what stage, how long were you in business before you were able to start paying people? We've always paid Antoine. Uh, <laughs> I didn't come on. I was technically like the second employee. I didn't come on until like a year and eight months ago. And then this year is when everybody else came on. And when you say came on, you mean came on a salaried? Came on a salary. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had, I quit my job almost two years ago um, where and, and I became a salary employee. And now everybody that's on the team is a salaried employee. Okay. All right. We're making moves. Yeah, we went from two to we went from two to seven. And I know a lot of people lose money or they're just breaking even in these first few years. So what has been your experience? Were you not taking a salary, but you know, at least you were were breaking even or talk us through that. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. Anybody that's in the consumer goods space that's a high growth brand, nobody's making any money. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I, like I like it it's it's a misconception. Dollar Shave Club sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. But when they sold, they weren't profitable. They weren't that technically they weren't making money. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they and were so, making money but they weren't profitable. That's the They were making money but yeah. they weren't it's completely different. It's night and day. Right. So my objective is not to be profitable, right? That's not my cuz I'm in a high growth business that I will one day put through acquisition to be sold, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That's different from being in a business where, you know, it's a legacy business. You guys are never going to take it out of the family. You know what I mean? So we've never, uh, I won't say that we've never been profitable, but it's so relative because you could be profitable and have only made 200,000 in the year. You know what I mean? Right. I'd rather not be profitable and be making $250 million a year. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And that's very much how, um, especially knowing what kind of business you're building. I think that I see a lot of people trying to, or what's the word, um, worshiping this idea of a legacy business that's never sold, Black-owned, and all this other stuff. But I don't think that is the way business works as far as, if you're building a high growth company and you are aiming to build wealth for your family, the goal is to sell. The goal is to. Yeah, um, but cre- a lot of black owned businesses don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a touchy subject, right? Like I am right. I find myself right now tripping over my words like, como say, how do I say? That's right. <laughs> the goal is to sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've never not said that the goal isn't to sell. Yeah. Right. Like the goal for me, the goal is always to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a misconception within our community that if you're selling, then you sold out. Yes. And that can't be further more than the truth from away from the truth. Yeah. And I think one of the examples of that is the so you received investment from Sundial, Sundial's New Voices Fund and Sundial yes. was acquired and then 
now in their new position are able to create this fund for Black women entrepreneurs. So absolutely, yeah. And on top of that, let's put the cherry on top, and still own parts of their current right, business. Right, right. They didn't sell, but yes, they they sold. No, they sold to Unilever. But they were, but they were clever enough to be able to still retain some. keep not necessarily a part of the business, but a component of the business that they still ran. Okay, right. Love it. Now, talk to us about what, how, how have you approached investment? How have you approached funding? Especially given, you know, we just talked about that your goal is in profitability, but you are still, you're, you're still getting investment. So, how do you? Yeah. How do you approach that? How do you pitch them? How do you get how do you approach looking at opportunities to get more money? And what has been your experience? I think first and foremost, if you're looking to go out and raise capital, uh, you need to make sure that you have something that actually is worthy of raising capital. Um, And the reason why you want it to be worthy is because you are asking because in the beginning, you're not going to be going to a venture capitalist company, unless you're, unless you're on the, on the brink of that, that amazing new brand that's going to turn into like, you know, dollar shave club or Mm -hmm. Uber or something. Right. So typically in that scenario, you're going to go to what's called a family and friends round. Right. So you, you don't want to be going to your family and friends or friends of your family and friends and asking them for capital on, on a business that you don't know is going to be successful or not be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. So first of all, you need to be making sure that you've already put your own skin in the game. You've been working it. You have a model. It works. You know that people buy it. Um, you know, you know that they come back. Those types of things. Um I don't necessarily think when you're talking about raising real capital, like you're getting into millions and millions of dollars. I don't necessarily think that you should raise capital, especially if you're in the consumer packaged goods space, unless you have a really compelling reason. You're going into a retailer. You know that retailer is going to account for X amount of dollars in business, you know, because you have to really be able to tell a good story when you're raising capital. Right. So, you know, for us, our approach to raising capital was because we got into Target. You can't get into Target without going into mass production. You can't go into mass production unless you're ordering a minimum of 50,000 or more bottles. Right. Yeah. And so we were able to put together the right story that that we could actually bank on because we knew that business was coming in order to raise the capital that we needed. Um, you know, so. Approaching it in an intelligent way, but not being, but not an intelligent way as it, as it relates to you, but in an intelligent way, as it relates to being able to sell that concept and be able to make somebody's dollar into $5 or $10. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you think about giving away your parts of your company though, in order to get this money? I think, I mean, it's essential, right? No, no savvy investor. And even if they're a family and friends investor or a seed round investor, no, no savvy investor is basically going to put the cash up um, without getting equity at some point, especially in those beginning rounds. Right. Because they're really, 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 really banking on the fact that this shit could fail, you know, or succeed. But Mm -hmm. chances are most times this shit's going to fail. Yeah. So they want equity in your company. I think that giving away equity only really matters, right? 
if you're in a company that is going to go through an acquisition, right? Or you have a company that's going to be worth lots and lots and lots of money. Mm-hmm. And that's into the hundreds of millions, right? Yeah. And so, you know, for me, I'd rather own, and I'm just giving you very easy numbers. I'd rather own, would you rather own a hundred percent of a pie that's worth zero dollars <laughs> or would you rather own, <laughs> you know, or would you rather own 10% of a pie that's worth a billion dollars? Okay. Right. So yeah. in my mind, I don't really give a shit if I own only 20% of my company or 15% of my company, if I can get to the dollar amount, which yep. is between one and $2 billion that I want to get to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, but not everybody thinks the way I think. You know, but for me, I just need to own the amount of the pie that's going to get me to the to my North Star number personally. Okay. You know, and, you know, now that you're in Target, now that you're beyond just in Whole Foods, how are you managing and and also what has changed in the business? You talked a little about formulation. (sighs) Yeah. Were you finished with your questions? I was. And that that seemed like a deep sigh. Yeah. Oh, it's a whole new world, man. Um, Retail is expensive and you, you know, you don't make like you make a 40 percent margin or a 50 percent margin or, you know, depending on what your product is, Mm -hmm. you make a small margin compared to what you make when you go and sell directly to a consumer. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, Pennies matter. (laughs) (laughs) If you're ordering 220,000 units of something and it's a penny more or two pennies less, it's crazy how much every single penny, you know, counts. I mean, hiring people, having like manuals and handbooks and like policies. And I mean, there is so many levels to startup life. Yeah. Every day I learn about some shit that I'm even messing up on. <laughs> <laughs> so or, is it more expensive to to provide the product to the retailer? Like, you know, to not only... Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're getting less margin, you know, how are you making money? <laughs> That's what I was telling you. Yeah. You're not... I mean, you're making money, but making money, like, doesn't really mean shit because you, you only make money to go out and buy more stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the more money you make, right? The more money you make, the longer your, your company is around, the more money it costs to be in business, right? I mean, you, you buy and then you sell at a higher price. So you're always technically making money, but then that money has to be invested in your employees. And then, you know, marketing efforts, promotions. I mean, it is just, it's insane. Yeah. Before we head into the lightning round, I would just want to know what would, what do you say to to people who are where you were maybe five years ago and they have a great business that's that's going great for them, starting off their website, very small scale, just them making their products, sometimes getting help from friends. And they have the dream of being in major retailers. But when they see what it takes, they're intimidated Ugh. because they're like, is, is it even worth it? it like if, if I'm going to lose more money but yeah, my brand will be all over the place. Like, what is what is the upside to this? 
The upside is that you, is that you, again, that depends, right? I'll answer that upside question. The upside to uh, growing and scaling in retail and growing and scaling online is that you can go through a major acquisition, right? And the faster that you're able to get to higher and higher dollar amounts makes the valuation of your company higher and higher, right? And that's normally like a 3X, 4X, 5X, right? So the benefit to, yeah, you may not be profitable, but you're actually making money. The benefit to that is the value of your company goes up, which means that you sell it for more when when, when that time comes. But what was the and what was the first part of your question? So the first part was that we're talking to, you know, the person who is selling their favorite um, product out of their house, making it all handmade. And they're trying to figure out what is the future of this business? Should I keep it? Because it's it's perfectly fine to keep it as this is just something I'm going to do. I'm going to make this much product per year. But at what stage do you decide I'm going to keep it like this or I'm going to go after this? So I guess my question is helping people to understand, should they have that pie in the sky dream or should they, you know, aim for something a little bit more manageable for them? I think that you should always aim to your pie in the sky dream, right? Like whatever your North star is, you should always be aiming for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, But depending on what your North star is, should tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing. You know, I if if I was talking to myself five years ago, I would have told my, you know, that that self, um, I would have told her really do well in retail, or excuse me, really do well online first, right? And then and then go into retail. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, being the person that I am, everything happens the way that it should, you know. And I don't think pie in the sky was the right expression, but you know what I meant. Like aim for know, aim for the stars. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. But I, I feel like people should always, always, always aim for the stars. Yes. But when you're but if you're in this type of space, because it's such a brave new world, the gift, the the, the thing that you want to really focus on is online business. Because if you can if you can scale your business online then you create a story to tell if you weren't fortunate in the way that we were. And that was only one time. There's still so many more retailers to get. Um, But if you're, you know, then you have a story to tell if you want to go into Target or if you want to go into, you know, wherever you want to go into. But you want to get your business to a place where it's making, you know, a couple million online first. And if you can get to a place, even if it's making half a million online, then that's compelling to go to a to a store like Target to say, look, I've already been doing a million dollars online by myself. Right. No help, no volume, just me and the damn post office. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If you can do that, then that's compelling to a buyer. I think that so many people go after retail, but. Going after retail is really, really, really hard and it's extremely expensive. It is so expensive because you have to get your product mass produced. You know, but also if you get the opportunity to go into retail, you know, <laughs> then you take that and you run with it. Right. Because and, and it'll you know, you'll figure it out. You you have to. You'll fi- <laughs> you have to. You have to figure it out, right? There's there's yeah. no there's no backseas on that no, shit. If nope. you if you get if you say yes and you commit to it, you got to do it, yeah. and you got to keep product on the shelf because then that's embarrassing. 
right? Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be that guy who's created something and then can't, you know, I understand not being able to keep up with your um, inventory. Nobody should want to be able to keep up with their inventory because that means that you're, that there's not a demand, but you don't want to be that guy who's like, you know, I'm going to do this and then not show up to the table. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Um, so okay. All right. Now let's do a quick lightning round. Um, you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yep. All right. Number one, what is one of the best resources that has helped you in your business that you can share with the side hustle pro audience? Humans. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and you seem to have a knack for getting humans to do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode or live event that you've consumed this year? Oh, podcast or event, you said? Yep, or be a book? book. Yep, best business book. Pima Children Learning to Stay. Hmm, I have to look that up. Yeah, I'll link do. to that. Okay. Number three, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? Oh. I don't know if she was a black woman entrepreneur, but it's funny. Harriet Tubman's came into my mind for some reason. You know what? It's so, it's so, you would think that I would say this, but I, and I even said it earlier, probably be, probably Beyonce though. Yeah. Probably Beyonce. Yeah. Or Kim Kardashian. Well, no, Kim Kardashian isn't black. Right. Um, <laughs> no, her sister, if I'm going to pick one of them. Yes. But no, B, B, because she has been, her hustle game is so real and she is so committed to her craft. She's, um, she's managed to keep her private life separate, you know, outside of when her and Jay were having problems, but even still, she's just really managed to just create this bubble for herself um, where she can be wickedly successful, where she can be respected, where she doesn't, you don't hear her name in the news. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I just think not even because I'm a huge fan of her music, but her hustle is just like, it's insane. Yes, it is. It's insane. Yeah. So I really, really love her. Yeah, for that. All right. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you be successful in your business? Being present. Love it. Okay. Finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own business and their own boss, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Being in business for yourself, you constantly, constantly, especially if you're looking to be a high growth business, all that you do is make risks, right? You literally make them, especially if you're, if your business is getting more and more successful because you're, you know, you're the one that's developing the product and doing whatever it is that you're doing. Um, don't be afraid. You almost can't be afraid of anything in business because you're literally like, like I'm, I'm almost like the life, blood of honey pot. If I don't stay focused, if I don't think outside the box, if I don't, if I'm not fearless, if I don't believe in myself, if I don't um, respect the people that work for me and the, the fact that they have families and all that kind of stuff, if I don't do that, yeah. I'm doing myself a disservice. I'm doing my customers a disservice. I'm doing my employees a disservice. 
So be clever. Mm -hmm. Don't quit your job until your business can take care of you. But once you commit, you got to give it a thousand percent. You, you must. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can't be scared. Scared don't make money. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, you, you got to you got to go. You just, you just got to do it and believe in yourself. Yes. All righty. Now, where can people connect with you and the honeypot after this show? On Instagram, my my handle is I am B Espada. And that's just B-E-A-E-S-P-A-D-A. -A -A. Um, also, we're at The Honeypot Co. You can also find our website, thehoneypot.co. You know, I think Facebook. I believe that that's at The Honeypot Co. But Linda runs Facebook. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you could you could really just Google The Honeypot and yes. you'll be able to find us. And I'll link to all of those in the show notes. So we got it. All right. So guys, there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.